It is good to be in the house of the Lord. I love this church. I feel like I've been out of the pulpit forever, but boy, have we had some great messages over the last month. In fact, I want to share something with you, a beautiful story that took place two weeks ago right here in the worship center. And that was the weekend that we had the prayer conference on Friday and Saturday. And some of those people at the prayer conference stayed over for Sunday morning when Ken Malone preached. And so we were worshiping. And man, just like this morning, it was so exciting. And then a lady seated right up here stepped out. She was part of the prayer conference team, not knowing how we do things here at the church. And she stepped right up here, right up front. And she took a huge worship banner and she started waving that worship banner. I mean, for those of you who are sitting right here, you know what I'm talking about. She's waving a worship banner. I immediately went to her and this is what I said. I just put my hand on her back and I said, ma'am, we don't do that in front of folks because it's distracting. I don't know if you've ever been there where a banner was coming right It just takes your focus off the Lord. And and I said, we don't do that in front of folks. But I tell you what we do have is we have the perimeter of the building. uh, And you won't be in front of anybody. And you go worship the Lord with that flag and just have at it. So she went to the side of the building, started waving the flag and worshiping the Lord. And I have no doubt she was doing it with sincerity of heart and a genuine spirit and a passionate love for the Lord. Well, anyway, after a while, she folded it up and came and sat back down. Well, I forgot all about it. After the service was over, this lady walked up to me right up front. And this is what she said. She said, Pastor, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you for this whole weekend. She said, God has touched my heart in amazing ways. She, she said, she said, the Lord's been speaking to me and God's been revealing things to me and God's been touching my heart and it's just been absolutely awesome. I just can't tell you how good it has been to be here on this property and at River of Life. And she just went on and on and I'm standing there with amazement. And then when she finished, she said, so just know that I am so thankful. And I said, well, ma'am, I said, I want to thank you. And she said, for what? And I said, because when I went to you and told you to stop and go to the perimeter of the building, you didn't get offended. And so help me, she looked at me and she said, now why would I be offended? When God is blessing me the way he's blessing me, why would I be offended. We hugged, she left, but that lady left a huge impression on me. I tell you, I found myself praying, Lord, let me, let me live at a, at a level of Christian maturity where when you are pouring out your blessings and blessings and speaking to me, the enemy can't slip up on me and offend me and take my focus off what you're doing in my life. I want to tell you, I, absolutely uh, amazing. And uh, I don't think I'll ever forget that lady. And so, so maturity, isn't it time for maturity in the kingdom of God? 
it's time for us to act like mature Christians, not like children. And so I praise the Lord for that. Hey, this morning, I want to speak to you on the subject just for a few minutes on defining revival, defining revival. And I want you to turn with me to Second Chronicles 7, 14, Second Chronicles 7, 14. We'll pull it up in just a moment. <clears throat> but this is the premier revival verse of the Bible. When people preach on revival, this is the verse they go to. And, and you're familiar with it. And it's just a good place for us to start today. Second Chronicles 7.14. This is what it says. If my people who were called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now that's a pretty good description of, of revival and a mighty move of God. But here's what I want to ask you today, and this is something the Lord's had on my heart for a while now, and I think it's an important um, issue for us to deal with, and I know in some ways I'm kind of splitting hairs today, but I think this is important, and so I hope you'll stay with me, and that is, does revival really mean Revival. A long time ago, the psalmist prayed, it's in Psalm 85. He said, Lord, will you not revive us again that we may rejoice in you? Now, when the psalmist used that word revival, and we use the word revival, are we thinking the same way? And the reason I ask, does revival still mean revival? Is because words have a way of changing, <clears throat> don't they? They do. And in fact, sometimes words don't mean, they don't even come close to meaning what they mean. For instance, would you like to have a hot dog for lunch? Because I got to tell you, if that's literal, I'm not interested. If a hot dog is really a hot dog, then I don't ever want another hot dog. Do you Th think about it? <clears throat> if you say somebody's cool, now, now that is a word we used to use a lot when I was growing up, but it's still around today because I'll say something every now and then and somebody say, that's cool. Does that mean it's cold? No, it does not mean that. If you talk to a friend this afternoon on the phone and they say to you, I'm down in the dumps. Does that mean that they're down at the local dump and they're not just at the dump, they're in the dump? I, our English language is something, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You, you know, gay doesn't mean carefree anymore, does it? No, it doesn't. Being high doesn't mean you're way up in the air. Raining cats and dogs does not mean household pets are falling from the sky. Does it? She has a heart of gold. Does not mean that her heart is made of a soft, dense, yellow metal that's worth $1,920 an ounce. But here's the thing. 
We all know what people mean when they say those things, don't we? In fact, if we've got any English teachers here, they would call that figure of speech an idiom. Uh, an, an idiom is when you say something and it means something completely other or different from the actual words you're using. There's nothing wrong with that. Words change, don't they? There's nothing at all wrong with that. It communicates. There's nothing wrong with that unless we're talking about the Bible. And it is important for us to know what the Bible meant when it says something and for us to understand it in its original context. What is revival? See, the point I'm making is words change, but we don't want the word revival to change. We don't want it to mean something today that it didn't mean back then. And I told you earlier, I was going to be splitting hairs today. So, so listen to me. When you say revival, when you are talking about revival or you're praying for revival, my question to you is, is that the same thing the psalmist was talking about? Because I don't think it is. 90% of the time when I hear people talking about revival, it has nothing to do with revival. It has to do with something that takes place after revival. One more time. I've already read it to you. If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, that's revival. Are you with me? What we read after that, God says, then will I hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins and heal their land. That's a mighty act of God. Revival and then a mighty act of God. It, it works in that order. Now, here's the problem. If we merge those two, even though they are so close and they work in tandem with one another, but if we blend revival and a mighty act of God together, then when we talk about revival, we may not be talking at all about what the Bible's talking about. Most of the time when I hear people use the word revival, they're talking about a mighty act of God. And, and, and so what I want you to know today, if you, if you can remember anything I'm saying, is remember this, a mighty act of God is not revival. A mighty act of God is what happens after revival. A mighty act of God is what happens after God's people get revived. And so what is revival? Well, let's think. R revival is when the people of God get revived. It's not about God doing great exploits out there in the community or, or even in the corporate or collective church. It's about God's people being revived. I'll tell you something else. A mighty act of God is beautiful, amazing, breathtaking, wonderful. Revival's not all that pretty. Revival deals with repentance. Revival deals with weeping. Revival deals with brokenness. 
Revival comes when the people of God understand that they've drifted away from that close, intimate, obedient relationship with a holy God. When revival breaks out, there are tears at the altar. There's weeping and crying. And people are devastated when revival breaks out. And it's after that that we start seeing the great and mighty moves of God. And, and, and what I'm trying to tell you is if in your mind, revival is God doing all this wonderful stuff up here, you can pray for that for the rest of your life and you'll never see it. But if you understand that revival is you getting right with God, you repenting of your sins, you coming into proper and right relationship with God and you get revived, then I'm telling you, then that stuff breaks out. It, it, it gets exciting. Jesus talked about revival when he was talking to the church of Ephesus. He said they'd left their first love. They were backslidden. They needed a revival. He described what that revival would look like. They had to remember. By the way, I want to ask you today, do you remember when you were walking so close to the Lord that you could feel him almost every step, that he was whispering in your ear, that you felt like if you died right at that moment, you'd just, you'd just go straight to heaven. Remember, remember from where you've fallen. That's what Jesus said to the church of Ephesus. And then, then he said, repent. That means you ask for forgiveness. You talk about mercy and grace when we start asking for forgiveness and God gives it to us. That's mercy and grace. Remember, repent and return and do your first works. That's what revival is. I, I'll tell you, I want us to start praying for revival in this church. But when we pray for revival, I want you to understand we're not praying for hundreds and thousands to get saved. We're not praying for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that's so thick that you can see it uh, in the air, the Shekinah glory of God. We're not talking about a great reputation. We're talking about a church returning to holiness. We're talking about a church getting right with God. We're talking about getting to the place where if God wants to use us in a small way or a great, grand, and glorious way, it does not matter. We just want to be used of God. And we have to be revived first. You see, there's an order. Revival and then great moves of God. Weeping may endure for the night. That would be revival. But joy comes in the morning. That would be what God does. You see, this is such an interesting subject for me. A few years ago, I think it's maybe more than that, 10, 12 years ago now, there was a revival in America. And I'm going to say it like this, a revival slash mighty move of God. And I did some extensive research on this revival. I mean, I dug in for weeks to get every detail I could get on this revival. And I want to share it with you. Some of you have heard this before. But it all happened in the city of Manchester in Clay County, Kentucky. Clay County, Kentucky was the most deadly county in the state of Kentucky. It had, two, it had a 200-year history of violence, poverty, and feuding and murder. 
even though it was no joking matter, people jokingly called it Gunchester rather than Manchester. It became a haven for drug trafficking. Young people were dying at an alarming rate. One girl testified that hardly a month went by without one of her friends dying from a drug overdose. The New York Times wrote this about Clay County and the city of Manchester. One can hardly believe that any part of the United States is cursed with people so lawless and degraded. Times have changed since they wrote that, hasn't it? Someone else wrote that uh, Manchester was the painkiller capital of America. <clears throat> when a place becomes wicked and sinful, the young people are the ones who, who are most vulnerable. They're the ones who suffer the most and pay the greatest price. Such was the case in Manchester. So many young people died in car crashes because of alcoholism and substance abuse. One reporter said the crosses on the side of the road looked like picket fences. Several pastors got together and started praying together. Baptist, Pentecostals, Presbyterians, independence. Things had gotten so bad that these preachers forgot about their theological differences and came together with this one thing in common. They all believed God was their only hope, the only way to stop the slaughter of their children. Before it was over, 63 pastors and churches were praying together and crying out to God in repentance. One pastor said, it was so bad that non-Christians were coming and joining the prayer meeting. Pastors repented, listen to this, for being more concerned about their own buildings and their own programs than the people of Clay County. You've heard this before, this quote by Edmund Burke, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. One of the greatest sins of the church today is that we come together, sing our songs, and preach our sermons, but in the end, we do nothing while Satan and the world destroys our young people. They may not be dying on the side of the road, but they are dying morally and spiritually. They're dying to the things of God, and for the most part, the church is doing nothing to stop it. We refuse to cooperate with others. We refuse to lock arms with other churches and other denominations because they don't believe exactly like we believe. Oh, friends, these pastors in Clay County started repenting and crying out to God. And then a Baptist pastor had a vision of a march in the city of Manchester. He shared it with the others and they said, let's do it. They set a date and listen to this. Now, this was after they'd been praying for a long time. 4,000 people met with banners and marched and sang and prayed together. The churches came out and came together and took a stand. One of the judges, and, and I want you to notice I use the word judge, one of the judges, not pastors, but one of the judges in the town said that when they marched that day, it was like they drove the demons out of the city. He said it was like darkness left the city. 
Now, by the way, when you and I pray and when we do what we're supposed to do, always know this. God's doing something behind the scenes that you don't know about and I don't know about. Here's what they didn't know. These 63 churches and 63 pastors and all of these people who were praying and marching, they did not know this. While they were praying, God was doing something bigger than they could imagine. Their congressman had called for the FBI to move into the city as undercover officers and set up a sting operation to clean up the drug trafficking right after the march. They started arresting people. You can do your own research on this, but I, I mean, I got my facts right on this. It's hard to believe, but here's a list of people they arrested. They arrested the mayor, the assistant police chief, the clerk of the circuit court, several city council members, the fire chief, the 911 director. Who wants a corrupt 911 director? They fired the city manager. They fired uh, the supervisor of elections. They fired the circuit court judge. They, when I say they fired them, they arrested them. They arrested these people before it was all over with. This is, too, this is almost unbelievable. Before it was over with, the FBI had arrested 3,000 people. They were praying for revival. They were praying that God would clean the place up. They had no idea what was going on behind the scenes. Nobody knew, but God came in with a mighty move of God. Uh, ministers in the city started preaching. You know what they started preaching? Get saved or get busted. <laughs> get saved or get busted. I, I love that. That may be the title of my next message. <laughs> Prayer works. So what did they do? Listen to this church. So what did they do? They didn't stop there. They didn't quit with a march or a prayer meeting. They got together. They got involved with politics. And they stood together and elected Christian people to fill those positions of those who had been arrested and kicked out of office and fired. The mayor they elected was a Christian. The judges were Christians. The chief of police was a Christian. They just kept putting Christians in office. By the way, the new mayor led them to change the name of the city from Gunchester to the city of hope. That's what they have. They have a sign today that says the city of hope. Now listen to me. It, it, th these two are so close, but but you have to see the distinction. They had a revival, and then they saw the mighty hand of God. They had a revival. They saw the mighty hand of God at work. They would never have seen the mighty hand of God had they not had revival. They had to personally 
get right with God. I, I was praying about this uh, years ago, and the Lord gave me a picture of revival, and it involves my own family. My son uh, and his family went over to Panama City to go out deep sea fishing. Uh, a friend of my son had a, a big boat, 36-foot contender with triple 300s on it and autopilot and you know, a fancy uh, way, way out of our league. But they get on this boat, and guess what he does? He programs. The guy programs the waypoint, puts it on automatic pilot, and then takes my four-year-old grandson. He's looking at me right now. I don't know if he remembers this or not. Takes my four-year-old grandson, puts him in the driver's seat, puts his hand on the wheel, says, you can drive the boat. And he thought he was driving the boat. But the boat was on automatic pilot. I mean, it was auto. And, and it was going where it was supposed to go. And I tell you, as long as our hands are on the wheel and as long as we're making the decisions, oh, friends, that's not what God wants. God wants us to experience revival to the point that we get to go along for the ride. I'm telling you, where he moves in, where he's in charge. And, and I, I love it when God gets in charge and, and, and when God is doing what he can do. I'll, I'll, I'll close with this last story. Some years ago, I, I was in a state of revival. The church was in a state of revival. And we started seeing some of these results. And, and by the way, revival comes in waves. And, and it, it, we, we almost always need renewal and revival, don't we? Uh, Brother Derek said it in his Bible study not long ago, the, the old song, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. We all drift. And so we were in a time of revival. And I remember one Wednesday, and we were having Wednesday night services, and I was preaching a lot of those Wednesday night services. And, and one Wednesday, the Lord put an evangelistic message on my heart. I mean, it was almost as good as something Bill Jenkins would preach. I mean, it was good. And I couldn't believe it. And I'm thinking, okay, I'll preach this on Sunday. And the Lord said, no, you're going to preach it tonight. And so I said, okay. And then I started praying. I said, Lord, if I'm going to preach this evangelistic message tonight, then you've got to send some lost people to the Wednesday night service. Because it won't make sense for me to get up and preach this evangelistic message and everybody's saved. And, and so I started praying for people. And I actually started praying for a couple of guys that I'd been praying for for a while. And I said, Lord, somehow, some way, let them show up tonight. And so anyway, we got there. I remember having my notes. I was so excited. And I was looking. Hey, by the way, when you see me up front looking over the congregation, I'm looking for you. And, and I, w I was looking, all, and there they were, the two guys I've been praying for. What in the world are they doing in church on Wednesday night? Yeah, and, and there they are. So now I've got my notes. I'm thinking, okay, I know what this is all about. I'm going to get up and I'm going to preach this, this fiery, powerful, anointed, evangelistic message. They're going to walk down the aisle, and they will get saved. Well, what happened was, 
It, we never have it figured out, do we? And what happened was, is I was seated over to the side and we were worshiping and Priscilla wasn't leading, but I'm sure you remember this. We were worshiping and all of a sudden, all of heaven broke loose. And it was so thick, you could just feel it. And the presence of God was all over the house. And the praise team completely ignored me. And they kept singing and singing and singing. And I was standing over the side going, you know, it's nobody would pay me any mind. They kept singing and singing and singing. And finally, I, I closed my notes and I bowed my head. And I said, Lord, do you want me to go stop them? And here's what the Lord said to me. It's one of the clearest words I ever got from the Lord. The Lord said to me, there's a spiritual parade passing through this place tonight. And spiritual candy is being thrown out all along the way. And the Lord said to me, you can either pick some of this candy up and enjoy it, or you can sit over here and pout and do without I knew it was God. I closed my notes. I put them on the pew where I was seated. And then I got up and I started worshiping God. And it wasn't long. I felt drawn into the praise and worship. And I got up front. I forgot about those two guys. I don't want to be ugly. I don't want to be ugly. But if they're going to hell, they're going to hell. (laughs) And, And by the way, it is our job to be obedient. But another person's salvation is not our responsibility. And so, I, man, I got up front. I remember Priscilla, I came around. I got right up front and I was crying. I was praising the Lord. I thought, man, I'm getting in on this. I'm not making this up. I felt a tap on my shoulder. I turned around. It was one of those guys I've been praying for. He was weeping. He said, I'm lost. Will you tell me how to be saved? I said, yes, I led him to Christ. The other one came, did the same thing. I never preached anything. You know what I was doing? I was sitting up in the captain's chair. I had a hold of the steering wheel. I thought I was in charge, but God was the one who was in charge of that house that night. He was doing what he does. Church, I just want to tell you, we need a mighty move of God. We need to see the great accomplishments, the great moves of God in our county, in our families, don't we? We need that, don't we? But I'm here to tell you, friends, there's an order. And the order begins with God's people getting revived. God's people coming to the place where they are repentant and broken. God's people quit making excuses. God's people stop thinking that they're a special case and God's making special allowances just for them. No, when God's people get revived and they turn to the word of God and they start doing what God's word says. Now, here's the beautiful thing about it, friends. 
When we do that, you don't have to pray for a mighty move of God. You couldn't stop it if you tried. When people get right with God, God steps in and does what he does. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for letting me share this word. And Lord, I'm asking you to to show us as a church how to pray for revival and to know what real revival is. Revival is us getting right with you so you can accomplish your will and purpose through us and in the world around us. Lord, I pray today if there's someone here who's not saved, that today will be the day of salvation. I pray if there's someone who's backslidden, today will be a day of, of remembering and repenting and returning. I pray, Father, that, us, that all of us as Christians will, will pray and seek your face and turn from our wicked ways so that we might see a mighty move of God. Lord, would you do what only you can do? Lord, we humble ourselves before you. In Jesus' name.